Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Life can be difficult sometimes, can't it? It can be stressful can be tough. Uh, And uh, when life is stressful for me, I know because I can't fall asleep. That's my brain just, when I lie down, my head hits a pillow. It's like there's a button on the back of my head. And suddenly, all of the things that I'm thinking about go flying through my mind. Either I can't fall asleep or I have the weirdest kind of stress dreams where the things you're thinking about get played out in your dreams. And and Vicky is the same. When uh, work is crazy for her, she'll wake up and say, yep, I dreamt about NHS software last night. That was my (laughs) weird stress dream. Uh, And actually, in the life of CCM, we've gone through a few changes recently. So um, if you're new to us as a church, like Abby said, we meet in five different places on a Sunday. We actually have seven different meetings now, and that has been led by a gentleman called Colin Barron for the last, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. And he handed that over to me in March. And I didn't sleep very much around that time, not going to lie. There are any number of strange stress dreams that woke me in the night. And I remember an old friend of mine from Birmingham, he came to, he, he was just working in Manchester for a for a day and we had dinner in the evening and we were just talking like old friends do and he was asking me about it and I said and he's called Russ I said Russ I've basically been nervous and felt that weird nervousness for about four or five months now and he was like okay let's talk about that shall we (laughs) and uh, we talked that through for an evening and he was very helpful but life can be difficult sometimes can't it or even just what life is can put stress and strain onto us and it could be a season of life like like we've been through in the Simmons family it's just a set time and you know actually things will change and adjust whether that's work or it's an illness or something like that but for some people they can live with that continual low-level buzz of anxiety that could be as a result of family or upbringing or the job that you have or whatever it may be you can live with that through long times in your life life can be tough and we also live in a time of high anxiety even in the world that we live in on a bigger scale Uh, This week, if you happen to be even slightly interested in in the news, you'll notice that British politics is mad as fish at the moment, isn't it? It's all over the place. I mean, like an unprecedented level of strange for for us as Brits. And actually, if you were to track uh, two or three hundred years of the history of our parliament, there hasn't been turnover and change like we've had in the last four or five years. It is actually very, very unusual. And we live in a time of economic hardship. Um, And that's not just us. So us Brits tend to think when things are bad that nobody quite knows how bad it is for us. Uh, But actually, globally, uh, we're doing pretty well. So uh, a week or two ago, I was listening to a guy who, um, I mean, he's a church planter extraordinaire, uh, but he also runs a business in Mozambique. And this business is to uh, um, sell chickens and eggs. And it's not like he sells a few just on the side. He sells like a million chickens a year. Okay, this is a big business for him. Uh, And he said, effectively, I'm about to go bust simply because 
The cost of grain because of a war in Ukraine has meant he can't raise the prices he sells his chicken for because he's in Mozambique and the people there don't have that much money either. Uh, And so he's saying, effectively, my business is going to go bust because of a war about two or 3,000 miles away. Uh, There are people who are genuinely struggling with lots of different things in the world. It's the first time in my life where we've actually genuinely talked about the threat of nuclear war. So my parents' generation can remember that. And actually, it's, uh, it's new for me, it's new for us. Actually, there's a baseline level of anxiety there, isn't there? Or perhaps, you know, just the things that are still difficult that we've stopped talking about for the moment. Maybe the climate crisis, which drops off the news when we start talking about bombing each other, doesn't it? That's before you've even thought about what work is like for you or your friendships, relationships, or whether you can afford your bills, whether your boss likes you this week. Goodness knows, all of those things. And actually, as followers of Jesus, we have some things to say about that, actually, about living in high-anxiety times. And there are some things maybe that we should think about in in these moments. Uh, Even to think, how do we help people? How do we help ourselves? How do we process this properly? How do we deal with this anxiety? And how do we help others? And is the answer just to say, well, you lot need to pray more? Maybe. Maybe you could say, actually, just read your Bible more. Maybe that's not a bad thing either. Perhaps you could say, well, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry and have a day off. I'm not sure that's going to resolve the issue of nuclear war, is it? We need to perhaps go a little bit deeper than that in our thinking. How do we process this time of anxiety? How do we process the different anxieties that come at us in our lives? Because I think we will be dealing with this sort of stuff in our lives until we are no longer alive. It is the world that we live in. So for me to stand up here or even for us to think, okay, we need to try harder. We need to work harder. We need to perhaps invest more of ourselves Perhaps we need to watch more news. We need to educate ourselves more. We need to be better informed. All of these things aren't quite going to cut it, actually. When I wasn't sleeping very well, when I was nervous, when I was uh, going through that, was working harder going to solve my issues? I don't think it was. What I needed to do was step back and ask some bigger questions. How do I genuinely live peacefully? How do we deal with the anxiety of modern life properly? Not just to ignore it, not to kind of charge through it with our eyes closed. And how do we resist the reactivity of modern life? Modern life is very, very reactive. Even the way that our media is presented to us is sold in a way that is meant for us to react to. Because if we react to things, we're likely to click on stuff, which makes them money. We are generally meant to react in life. That is how the world is now designed for us. But how do we resist that? How do we live peacefully? And we're going to read from Ephesians, sorry, Philippians 4 today. And it'll appear up behind me. Uh, and, uh, but I will read it through for you as well. It says from verse 1, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloveds. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Cynthia to agree in the Lord. I don't know if that's how you pronounce their names. I'm just, I thought I would go for it confidently and hope nobody noticed. But then I made a joke of it. Yes, thank you. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers 
whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So how do we resist the reactivity of the modern world? How do we live as peaceful, healthy people in times of anxiety? And actually, I think Paul gives us four hints as to how we can do this, how we can live with peace. And I would say, before we get into this, this is a lifelong pursuit, that one sermon isn't going to fix you. Even if it's the greatest sermon ever, it's not going to solve what's going on. There are big choices that we make every day to live for this. So if you want to perhaps get more healthy, there's big choices every day to think about what you eat and the exercise you do, isn't there? And it's the same uh, for our internal health, for our emotional or mental health. Actually, every day we have big choices we can make which will look after us, which will help us to grow in maturity, to grow in peace. So firstly, let's think about what Paul means by peace. So peace in the Bible is often the word shalom. And uh, the English word version of this, which is peace, doesn't really cover the depth of what shalom means, cover the, the wisdom that is wrapped up in this word. And there are four levels to this word. The first is there is health in shalom, in peace. It's a wholeness of life and of body. So there is a, a physicality with it. And the English word for peace doesn't really cover that. It's more of a kind of a state of mind. Well, actually, there is a physicalness to this as well. There is also harmony. That is right relationships between people and between people and God as well. And then there is prosperity. So actually, there is success, flourishing and fulfilment that comes in true peace, in shalom. And then there finally is the word peace, which means kind of the absence of conflict, maybe the absence of war or a victory over the enemies. And for Paul, when he talks about peace, it means all of these things. When we read the word peace in the New Testament, in the Old Testament as well, you need to think about the whole package, not just this idea of the the absence of conflict. So let's think about these four hints that Paul suggests to us for a life of healthy peace, a life of resisting the reactivity of the modern world. And the first one is that we are to stand firm. And that is verse one. And this is a beautiful verse, verse one, if you look at it. It's actually just a wonderful verse written by a friend to his friends, my brothers whom I love and long for. And actually, it's a little bit more than friendship that Paul is putting into this relationship. Actually, that's a, it's a really important thing for us to understand as we think about uh, the Bible, as we think about what it is to be church 
in the modern world. Actually, he's hinting at a family here. He calls them brothers. I love my brothers. I long to be with them. They are the people of God, the family of God's that exist alongside each other and with each other. He doesn't write to them as individuals. And often we tend to read the New Testament in individualistic terms, don't we? But actually, Paul is often writing to groups of people, to whole churches. In fact, all of the New Testament is written in that way, uh, to groups of people. And they're meant to be heard together by groups of people and understood together by groups of people, by churches, by family. And there's lots in this for us to encourage each other, to lift each other up. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, myself, Beth and uh, Matt, uh, who's not here this morning, we were in uh, the Czech Republic at a conference uh, with lots of Ukrainians, Ukrainian pastors, Ukrainian young people, uh, and many of them had had fled war in their lives. Some were in the process of fleeing war uh, while we were with them. And it was absolutely fascinating to watch the different cultures at play. Okay, so the Ukrainians were a pretty huggy group. I'm not particularly huggy, so, but after a while they kind of wear you down. But they're a pretty huggy group. They're very affirming of each other, really encouraging of each other. Uh, like I, I got to speak a couple of times there and they're just tripping over themselves to be kind to you and nice to you and tell you how you were teaching them and helping their churches. Even you, though you knew that these were people who were dealing with war and looking after the poor in ways that I can't even dream about. But they were being very kind. They were laughed together lots. They were blessing each other. They're encouraging each other. And then there was the three of us Brits who spent about four or five days laughing at each other making jokes about each other, ripping each other. If somebody was obviously doing a bit well, then we would make sure that we got them back to the right level and bring them back down again. And actually, it was great fun. We had a really good time. But I think all three of us observed the cultural difference there. And I think all three of us wondered, are we perhaps missing something here as Brits in the way that we look out for each other Um, in this moment as we help each other to stand firm in the Lord. And actually, it was wonderful to watch uh, these people helping each other to stand firm under really quite extreme life pressure. Standing firm in the Lord is not a solitary exercise. And actually, I think we can sometimes think about it in these terms. The call to stand firm uh, is really important to us. And we know that there is much going on in the world. We, we listed some of the things at the beginning. Uh, maybe there's lots going on in your own life that causes you pain or causes you to question God or perhaps just makes your foundations feel very shaky. Perhaps even causes you to consider what you have built your life upon. Are you standing firm on rock or actually have you realised actually my foundations are, are sand? Actually, we have a, a great call to resist the reactivity of the modern worlds, the anxiety of the modern worlds, by standing firm in the Lord's. One of the, uh, the most rubbish bits about being a pastor, and there aren't many rubbish bits, but the, one of the few rubbish bits is when you hear people have decided to give up on God, often when life is tough for them. And the difficult thing is you usually hear after it's happened. Sometimes they don't even tell you they've left. They've just gone and you get wind of it later. After the decision is made, people make a choice to drift out of family or to walk away from God. 
Standing firm for them was difficult because they attempted it in isolation often. When their foundations were shaken, as is sometimes happens in life, they realised actually there wasn't much there, but they didn't want to share or talk about that. It's when trouble comes. So we get to stand firm. And Paul then says, actually, as well as standing firm, we need truthful relationships. Now, I love verses two and three here because there is a falling out. You think there's a falling out in the Bible. How on earth? Surely these people are all amazing. Uh, There were people there who perhaps had physically seen Jesus or uh, met him or been prayed for by him or or at the very least were hanging out with people who had been good friends with Jesus. Surely they were all at such a high level of emotional maturity that falling out was never going to happen. Well, these two fell out. And actually there are other instances in the New Testament of people uh, falling out with each other, including Paul himself. It is normal life. In normal life, not everybody likes everybody else. It's a tough thing, isn't it? There is tension, differences in personality. There's immaturity. There are grudges that get held. And we don't know, actually, in this particular instance, what they were disagreeing on. It doesn't, it doesn't say uh, at all. But perhaps it was theology they disagreed on. Perhaps it was the style of church that they had, the way that they liked to do things. Perhaps one of them forgot to bring the food for Sunday morning. Perhaps one of them didn't tidy up after community group. Who knows what it was? Perhaps one of them preached and it was 10 minutes too long. Who knows what it was? But to be healthy, to be peaceful, we are called to resist that reactivity in our relationships. And Paul puts it like this. He says, I'd like you to agree in the Lord, okay? and which is an unusual statement. And I would suggest that if you have two friends who are arguing with each other in church, if you said to them, agree in the Lord, they're probably not going to know what you mean. So let's try and understand it a bit. Uh, Paul is meaning, look, there is some humility here to be had for the two of you. Jesus, the Lord, is the ultimate example of how to relate to one another. He laid himself down, he humbled himself, he submitted himself so that other people, us, so that we can thrive, so that we can win. Jesus also was so confident in who he was, so confident in what God had called him to do, so confident just in his very identity as a son of God, that he could put others above himself. Those who are really confident in who they are, are happy for other people to thrive and succeed, even happy to concede ground and say, yep, I apologise, you are correct. Those who are less confident will argue a lot harder for things that aren't relevant. Now, let's not overstretch the point here, but Paul kind of brings another character into this argument. He asks one of, one of his readers, someone who is unnamed, he said, yeah, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women. And perhaps he was talking to the whole church here. Perhaps he had someone in mind particularly that he wanted uh, to help with this. But he's saying, look, I want you to be a healthy and peaceful person in this situation. I want you to exist in this difficulty, in this anxiety, because when two people fall out, it affects numbers of other people, doesn't it? We like to think the problem is just between two people, but actually lots of people are mixed into this. And he's saying, look, you be a healthy presence in that situation. 
You be the peaceful presence there. And peaceful presence doesn't mean you suppress all of the problems. It doesn't mean you ignore all of the issues. It doesn't mean that you take sides or anything like that. It means you are truly peaceful and healthy, that you are not living in reactivity. Actually, Paul is very clear. We have responsibilities to each other. In Galatians, he talks about how we bear one another's burdens. Now, effectively, we help carry each other. There will be times where uh, some of you will carry my burdens for me because I'm not able to do it for whatever happens in life. And hopefully the other way around as well. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is one of our great callings is actually to carry one another, to look after one another, to serve each other. However, in this, there is to be truthful relationships, honest, peaceful relationships. So we stand firm, we have truthful relationships, and then he explains more a bit about this idea of being a peaceful presence. So you go on to verse uh, four, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he gets very interesting. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, it's, a, it's a strange thing. If you're worried about something and somebody says, don't worry about it, it just never helps, does it? It's never in the history of that comment ever helped, okay? But let's just allow Paul to speak to us here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace of God available to us to exist in the world, to exist in a very anxious world, to exist in the most difficult relationships we have, there is a peace which we don't even understand, but is available to us. Now, to be this peaceful presence, to be this person that lives with this and over their lives works on this. Remember what I I said at the beginning, me saying this stuff and you hearing it doesn't solve the problem. This is day by day decisions that we we get to make. To be that peaceful presence actually is an infectious thing. I think that we can all infect the situations we are in with peace. And Jesus talked about it a bit when he said how a tiny bit of yeast can affect a whole batch. A small amount of yeast brings big change. Actually, a small amount of peace One person, even in a large group of people, actually can bring change. A peaceful posture in a time of anxiety is very, very provocative. So I've been reading um, a lot around this issue recently. Uh, And then one particular author I've enjoyed reading is a guy called Edwin Friedman. And uh, you may have heard me talk about him before, but uh, he's, uh, he's dead now, but he was a family therapist. Uh, and he worked on the idea that, uh, that actually it was the whole family unit that needed to be worked on, not just the person in it who was the problem, but the whole family unit. And he wrote a particular book on this called Failure of Nerve. And he describes how families would come to him in trouble. And there would often be a lot of anxiety in that family, a lot of uh, difficulty, not very much peace at all. And he would say, look, when a family would come to me, I would look for the person in the family who I thought could be the non-anxious presence. That's how he described it in the family. 
And he describes this person. He says, look, someone who's a non-anxious presence, they're someone who could see the big picture, who knew who they were. So like we talked about Jesus, knew their own identity, knew their own sense of purpose and calling in life, who actually weren't reactive and constantly responding to the anxiety that was in the family. And then he would help them to grow in that uh, and to become more assured in that. And he said, often when we would do this, it would change the whole atmosphere of the family. There's someone who is not reactive, then the anxiety doesn't just keep bouncing around from one to another. And that's not just true in families, that can be true in an organisation as well. So I remember um, the last job I had before we moved to Manchester and the office that I worked in, uh, there were two colleagues that I had. One, a lady called Ruth um, I don't know why I'm name-checking her. You don't know who she is. and I'm not sure she ever listens to our podcast, but I just feel like I want to give Ruth Bickley credit because she was ace. And um, she was calm. She was funny. She was hardworking. She was at my level in the organisation, which wasn't a very high level. There were numbers of people above us. Um, but whenever she was in the office, the atmosphere would change. She just was really funny. She was very calm when there was uh, pressure coming down uh, from on high. It was a time of uh, budget cuts in the organisation and she just wasn't worried about it, even though other people would get quite fraught. We all worked much better when she was there. She was indeed a non-anxious presence. She was the air purifier in the room. Just by being there, by being who she was, the place changed. Another colleague... Whenever he walked into the room, I won't name him, whenever he walked into the room, completely shifted. Anxiety raised. He was quite, you know, would make accusation, just not really harsh ones, but that constant low level, you didn't quite do that right, did you? You need to do this better all the time, constantly doing that. And actually, the anxiety would always raise when he was there. But if he was there and Ruth was there, Ruth's presence still changed the whole situation. There is great power in, in being known for your reasonableness. It's not very glamorous, is it? You think, I want to do great things for God. What's the call? Be reasonable. <laughs> Actually, it's incredibly powerful in almost all of the contexts we exist in. Having someone in a family that is anxious and broken who is reasonable, trusts God, knows what they're called to, and is willing to live in that, is very powerful. Someone who brings peace, not anxiety, sees the big picture. People people who are peaceful resist reactivity. They can see through it. They can see other people's anxiety for what it is. They can bring calm to a situation. And finally, Paul's final hints on how we resist the reactivity of the world, how we live health, uh, healthful and peaceful lives, actually finally is our thinking, healthy thinking. For us to be bringers of peace, to not just respond and react all the time, we need to learn to think peacefully, to think proactively, not reactively. Now, I don't mean just think positive, right? In any situation, just be positive, because that's not true, actually. To think, if I just think positive, everything will be fine and great. That's not true. The Bible is full of instructions on how to mourn, because awful things happen. We need to mourn them. 
Sometimes there are some situations where there isn't a positive thought to be had in that moment. And actually, it's important to mourn. It's important to lament the things that have gone wrong. You couldn't find some of the poorest people on our planet and just say, if you thought positively, you might get out of this situation. It's not true, painfully not true. But followers of Jesus, we need to be honest about the state of the world, need to be honest about the situation we find ourselves in. Actually, Jesus in Gethsemane, all he saw before him was horror. He knew what was coming. He faced an absolute horror. And he talked about that. He prayed to God about, this is what I'm facing. If there's a way we could do this differently, can we do it that way? Paul himself writes in Timothy, in 2 Timothy, about the people that let him down. People that actually went out to cause him harm. And he didn't just suppress it, go, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they, were, they didn't mean to do me any harm. I'm sure they were just trying to be nice and made a mistake. Actually, these were people that had him thrown in jail, that made accusations against him. So we're not called to change the subject like that would solve it or to live in denial about the things that are true and real. But he is teaching us in all of that, train your thinking. How do you think about the world? Now, I don't know if any of you do this, but this is one of the things that I do, which does not help me and that God has been teaching me about for many years, is that I catastrophize. I don't know if anybody else does that, maybe just me. Um, But in a tricky situation, my mind plays out all of the worst case scenarios, like all of them. Like I can invent new ones that aren't even possible. Or, Or if somebody is at me a little bit or is causing me difficulty, then it's the worst case scenario of what their intentions are and how they want to get at me and all of that sort of stuff. And in every possible way, I will go over why this situation is bad and it's going to get worse or why I'm a fool and I've made mistakes and surely I'm going to get found out one day. And all of those things can make you very reactive, can be a little bit crippling sometimes. You become very defensive of everything. means you're not open to hear uh, from anyone. You end up just reacting and pushing back. To be a peaceful presence actually is to resist that reactivity that is internal. And we have to fight really hard, actually, for what we think about. I do. I have to fight about what I think about. When these things come at me now because I'm getting old... I'm used to these things coming at me, and so I can think, okay, no, Tim, this is what is true. And Paul says that. Well, look, instead of allowing these things to come at you, try thinking about these things instead. Think about what's true. He says, brothers, whatever is true. Well, that's a good start. Think, well, is this thing I'm thinking about, is it a lie? Yes, almost all of the time. So what's true then? Well, let's think about the truth in that situation. Then think on things that are honourable, Not dishonourable. This person has been awful to me. This is how I'm going to get them back. I will be able to get one up on them here. I'll be able to get over them. And uh, this will be good. I can win in this situation. Is that honourable? No, that is dishonourable. Think about what is honourable. Think about what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. That's a filter to put our thought life through, isn't it? Now, like I've said, and I will keep saying, it is a lifelong journey to be people of peace in our families. And actually, for those of you that are children and have parents, and actually you are not the senior partner in the family, which is true for all of us until our parents uh, die, actually, we can sometimes think what our parents do and say, 
they get to decide the culture of the family. Actually, that's not true. You can be responsible for your parts and your reactivity and the anxiety that you bring or not. It's a journey that we begin. And actually, where do we begin it? Well, Paul says we do begin it in the place that is hidden, in place of prayer and supplication. Where you meet your Father in heaven, you talk to him. Where the Holy Spirit, actually, where he works on your heart and you allow him to and you talk to him about these things. Lord God, this is rubbish. Why do I feel like this? Please help me to process this a little bit better. And then where you submit yourself to the rule of Jesus. Not our way of living life, not the world's way of living life, not the way our friends suggest we should live life, not the way that Instagram suggests we should live our hashtag lives, Actually, the rule of Jesus and how he would have us live. 